in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homest Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Didi.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 147. I am Peter. And I'm Joey. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Happy to see you. Uh, John. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, that's my friend John Madsen. He uh, likes to podcast from time to time, and he's joining us. It's been a while. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. I kind of had to come uh, this week uh, since my uh, my laptop failed like three weeks ago, and I haven't been able to do any of my own <laughs> podcasts, so I've been... Uh, you need a fix, huh? Jinx, you two. Neither of you two can talk for the rest of the podcast. You both said the same thing at the same time. Anyway, as I was saying, uh, I have not been able to speak as much as I usually have. Uh, sometimes at my work, where I work, I can actually honestly go days without even speaking to anybody. Uh, so, this is a welcome change. Let's get into episodes right now. Why don't we do it a little bit early, shall we? Uh, the episode is called uh, something about uh, falling Reichen back in something something. And, uh, all right, fine, you guys can talk again, go ahead. <laughs> we would have continued. <laughs> we would have obeyed the rules. Right. We would have obeyed. Um, yeah, well, it's great to have you back, either way, you know, whether it's, you know, because you need a fix, or because you genuinely want to be here. Or because uh, you live here and you didn't really have any other choice. <laughs> yeah, no social plans for the evening. Mostly option one. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, um, Joey, do you have any announcements, anything we want to talk about? Our Kickstarter, Kickstarter hasn't started yet, and I'm putting this one on you now, what? pointing the finger back at you, because I wrote some stuff up, I asked for feedback, and you're like, yeah, it's good. I gave you some specific feedback. No. Uh, yes, I did. No. Yes, but then I didn't send you the email that I promised to send you. <laughs> That's why I faded. <laughs> I say, like, oh, Anyway, so that, that'll be coming soon, um, maybe. Um, announcement for me, started a new job this week, which I have to say something. I, I posted something on my Facebook wall. Page? Facebook? I put something on Facebook. <laughs> and um, it was surprising how many people commented and liked the uh, what I had put up. I was just like, Wow. People really do, post? yeah, that was, you know, farewell, I4, hello, Axis 41, uh, which is the new company, which uh, will become the uh, de facto sponsor for this yeah, podcast. Anyway, as part of that, Joe, you, you probably have seen this here, but John, I'm going to show off my... Mm, is that an error? My gotten gains here. Mm. Yes, I have a MacBook Air, um, I'm not gonna lie, the thing is foreign to me. 
I know how to open browsers and do a couple of other things now, but uh, man, this thing is—I don't know. Well, I—this I, is going to be a challenge for me to learn how to use a Mac. Um, but I figure eh, lots of people use Mac, so it shouldn't be that hard, right? I told you there's only one difference, and that's the control key is like two keys over. <laughs> there's a few other things. Uh, anyway, it, it's fun and uh, it's neat. Okay, I've got an, an announcement. Um, we have a new uh, Twitter follower. Okay. Sideshow, <laughs> Brandon. He's now oh. following us. Also, I uh, <laughs> I tweeted <laughs> this week. <laughs> <laughs> and we had someone respond. It was uh, listener Bob. He said, whoa, you tweeted three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, it's going to be my goal to start doing at least a tweet a week. And it, I'm hoping it'll be more than just a, hey, we're recording this podcast this week. I'm hoping to do something more than just that. Okay. Uh, but well, I don't know. As I pointed out on Twitter, my plan, it's all coming together. <laughs> I knew if I did nothing long enough, you would step up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kind of sad about this because I've had a goal for several years now to start a Twitter account that was you, where I tweet as you, and you not know about it. <laughs> Me personally, or Trek West 5? Well, you personally, but... So this, I, is, this is Trek West 5's Twitter account. I, I, know, I know it's Trek West 5's trigger, but as long as you don't have another one, it's pretty much... you. The voice of Pete Nash is on Twitter is heard pretty much through the Trek West 5 or will Twitter be. handle. Yeah, Maybe. Let's see if I remember <laughs> to actually do it. Um, yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that was my announcements. Um, Facebook find of the week? Facebook find of the week, I am going to give to, uh, Fishhead. Okay. For the Hexaflexagon video. Oh, right, okay. Uh -huh. You had to see that one coming. I had actually showed Pete this video last week, shown, that was the word shown, not showed. Uh... Because I'm a fan of Vihart. I, I think she does some really entertaining stuff. Um, and good job, Fishhead, for posting it to the Facebook page. Yep, it was something. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it's interesting, but after a while, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Pass. I, let's move on. Let's have a John Culture Corner. Fair enough. Uh, okay, popped into my head a couple minutes ago. <laughs> um... And I don't know if I've mentioned it here, but probably my favorite British sitcom is a program called uh, The IT Crowd, okay. which, you guys seen it? I watched a few episodes. Okay. Um, I've, heard, I've heard that it's very funny. I think it's very funny. A lot of people I know really don't like it um, after, like, a few episodes. I don't know. Give it a... You may as well watch the whole series, because they're, like, they're 20 episodes. That's only really a season of American shows. Right, so. yeah. Um but um it's sort of like um i i call i i tell people it's sort of like the big bang theory in that it's about you know kind of the nerdy group kind of you know, and and uh and their dealings with women and then and but this is more of a workplace kind of thing yeah um and it's funny cuz you know i i mentioned that i was actually chatting with one of uh uh uh, the British listeners on uh, on my other podcast, and uh, he actually said he liked Big Bang Theory more, which I found startling. But I don't know. Maybe oh. there's some kind of 
there's something too, like the romance of liking a show from far away or something. But uh, I think the IT crowd is really funny. And I thought of it because probably the most obnoxious part of the show, which is the woman who pretends to know about IT, who's supposed to be the manager down there, uh, is played by one Catherine Parkinson, who makes an appearance in Sherlock as the journalist. Okay. Uh, and she's like, she's the main girl okay. in the IT crowd. I and, was just about to ask, do they yeah. have a hot chick like they do in Big Bang Theory? She's not as cute as the girl in Big Bang you, Theory. She's very... It's no, easy no, to... It, it's easy to find... <laughs> she's really obnoxious. And it's... It, I, she's not put there... She's like... She has qualities, definitely. You know, she has like some cute qualities, but I don't think she was put there to kind of as eye candy to get people to watch because she's really really she's more funny than pretty i'll put it that way okay okay well then i can see why someone might choose to say the american one (laughs) is better just because hey that that blonde chick's cute yeah there's no getting around that she is and it's less uh, the the it crowd and big bang theory they're less connected than say like the american and british offices it's just a really quick way to say it it's I wouldn't say it's a similar style of humor because I would say one is funny and one isn't. But uh, because IT Crowd is mostly like a workplace kind of comedy, and Big Bang Theory is more of a friends uh, sort of comedy. Um, But the characters might be a little bit similar because they're just they're just nerds in both of them. That's pretty. That's the similarity. Uh, Interesting side fact. Mm, Side fact. Someone at my pre- someone at my previous job was like, "Oh my gosh, Pete! I just started watching this show. You're totally Sheldon." And I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm not a Sheldon. There are other people out there who are a Sheldon. I am not." But do you, do you she's watch that regularly? no, I don't. I've seen it a, a couple of times, um, but I, I think I know <laughs> enough about the character to know I don't think I'm Sheldon. But for her, I am, and so that became my nickname for you know a few months. People have people have told me that you and I are Sheldon and Leonard. <laughs> uh, I, and I've been Wh- which being which though. I'm Leonard. Yeah. Uh, you're Leonard. Uh, so I guess I'd, I. I'd say you're. More I guess Sheldon that. Than- that's two votes for me being Sheldon. I guess. All right, whatever. Yeah. And and uh, other people like people who haven't known you have called me Leonard, and I'm like, like people who haven't like spoken to me in a few years like oh wow you're so leonard from big bang theory i'm like that's two strikes (laughs) one you're watching big bang theory and two you find me like as one of the characters on big bang theory but whatever oh that's funny funny all right well good share john uh so that's the it crowd uh for those british listeners um you probably already know about it for you americans uh, give it a shot is it on netflix it's on netflix yes okay netflix Joey, how about uh, Joey's Culture Corner? Uh, Joey's Culture Corner this week is the website sailor.org. It's S-A-Y-L-O-R. Okay. This is an online university that they do a lot of sourcing of their content through different different web portals and stuff. Basically what they do is they're, they're just going out on the internet and finding materials written by people who are respected in the field, collating all that material and saying... If you watch all these videos, you, you take some of these tests put together by people who are professors at different universities and stuff, do all this work, and it will be an equivalent to having had attended a regular university. 
They're uh, unlike uh, I think I mentioned Course Rock previously, and maybe people have heard of Khan Academy. So unlike those two, these guys, the Sailor.org is actually going through and building a complete curriculum as, as though they were a full university. So they have MBA school, they have mechanical engineering, they have computer programming, they have legal, they have medical. I mean, they're trying to do a full slate of educational materials. Obviously, they, they're they not doing a lot of original content creation, but they're trying to take what's out there and collate it together and say, okay, if you had attended university, you probably would have seen this resource. You probably would have been asked to read this book and put it all together. It's kind of and, and that's something that's free. Yes, yeah. Definitely free out there. And this, uh, just to reaffirm, this actually has nothing to do with Sailor Moon. It has nothing to do with Sailor Moon, no. Oh, all hmm. right. Not what I first yeah, sailor, not imagined. Sailor. Okay. Well, I mean, but, I mean, they could find classes for me about Sailor Moon. <laughs> Potentially, I imagine, yeah. Okay. All right, yeah. Uh, look into that for us, what you, Joey. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so that's sailor.com, and you would give or, that uh, .org, and you would give that a thumb up. Thumb. Thumb up. You're right. Thumb up. I did only give it a thumb. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, why don't we go ahead and move into episodes? We are going to cover episode three, the Reichenbach Fall. That's correct. Ah, I got it right. Uh, I think I've mispronounced that before, like just amongst myself, <laughs> as Reisenbach. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why where I've ever gotten that from other than I just assumed that that's what it was called. Okay. But Reichenbach. 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 Okay. Summary. Sh- uh, sorry. Sherlock and Moriarty have their final confrontation. Ah. Final confrontation? Or is it? <laughs> well, I thought it was. So, Pete, I mentioned to you when you came home today and I was sitting on your couch watching the episode. I actually hadn't seen this episode before. Um, I When I found out that they were planning on... They were initially planning on not having a third series. Uh, and when I heard that, I said, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to save that Reichenbach Fall episode to savor someday <laughs> down the line when I just I really need that kind of that mystery fix. I'm going to save it. I'm going to put it on a, on a drive and I won't watch it. And it wasn't until I started the episode this afternoon and I saw uh, Watson sitting there in the psychiatrist's office and I thought, oh. That's right. I haven't seen this episode. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> it's very exciting for me. Which that reminds me, uh, I need to um, uh, collect on the couch tax. Uh, I haven't been collecting on that. Uh, you're using my couch, so I feel like I should somehow benefit okay. from that. So expect a bill. All right. Wait, which couch were you sitting on? My couch. <laughs> the brown one. <laughs> Okay. The one I've been defiling for years. <laughs> <laughs> My filthy presence. <laughs> All right. So, okay. The episode starts, and we have Watson, uh, who's seemingly distraught, kind of, you know, not in mental sorts. Um, apparently, he's missing appointments, I'm yeah. assuming, with the psychiatrist. Yeah, he hasn't seen her in 18 months, actually. Oh, uh, Okay. Kind of uh, to, went off on a manic bend with uh, Sherlock for all that time, and yep. now he's back to reality. Hit rock bottom, so he needs the help. And apparently, his best friend is dead, which is interesting. I w- wonder who his best friend is. 
Oh, wait, it's Sherlock. Now, coming from someone who this is the very first time I've been watching this series, it's a little anti-climactic. Be careful the way I say that. Because I know there's a season three coming out. Yeah. And so it's sort of like kind of takes the wind out of the sails. Yeah, because it's like, otherwise, if I would have heard that, I would have said, holy crap, he's dead. Like, they're beginning the episode with his death. He's It's already happened. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, in in the, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes is written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the Reichenbach Falls is the final story. It's the final case of Sherlock Holmes. There's no there's no indication whether or not Sherlock survived that fall. So I thought you had told me once before that uh, Doyle like had to resurrect him to continue writing the series. I, they, he ended up writing more books, but I don't remember chronologically if they ever oh, specified okay. whether. So there may have been a chronology that yes. indicated. Oh, okay, these which, were which some actually, other ones that he I, did. I, I wondered watching the starting this episode. I wondered if they were going to do that with series three. I wondered if. Their intent was to say, well, we didn't see every case. We can go back and cover some of those now. now right. Sherlock mm. is dead. Right. Okay. Well, either way, it was, you know, a bit off-putting to hear that Sherlock is dead. Um, now, we move into the past, and we see that they are, like gangbusters, solving all of these different... High-profile cases. Yeah. yeah. And they are being put into the limelight now. Sherlock does not respond well to gratitude or fame. He just is... When you get a gift from someone, you don't look at it and say, oh, this is a piece of crap. (laughs) With them standing right next to you. It's just, it's not done. It's a rude thing to do. Well, we know Sherlock has no sense of manners. Yeah, yes. At any rate... Isn't fame just another form of attention, though? Does he really have yeah, a hard oh, time absolutely. with fame? I, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Fame and attention, is they're very synonymous with each other. Mm-hmm. Fame is just on a much grander scale. Because you could get, you know, with a, amongst your friends, you could get a lot of attention. Not necessarily the same as, you know, your name in the paper. Your, your picture all I over the totally place. I agree with what you're saying there, though, because... Well, hey, I was agreeing with what oh. he said, <laughs> so direct totally your comments there. What you're saying. Uh, I, you know, the, the analogy I'd like to make here is public speaking. I am terrified of the idea of public speaking. It's like, to me, it's I'm one of those people who I would actually probably list public speaking as scarier than dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but... When I'm in a small, intimate group of people, I can get up and I can talk and I can discourse and carry on. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. It's the idea of, of the, the thousands of faceless people out there that I can't see in a public speaking scenario that makes me uncomfortable. And I think you can have kind of the same thing with, with fame and personal notoriety. You know, Knowing that I, I am immensely popular to you is different than knowing that I'm immensely popular to the entire country or to thousands of you will never know that you are immensely popular to me. <laughs> You're going to keep that bottled up? <laughs> if need be, I'll pay him to do that. <laughs> Wait, how, Joey, how many, peop- how many people does it take for you to like shut it, down? Any more than 30, and I really 
collapse. For really? further further clarification, what if you know them all? If I know them all individually, it, the m- number might be higher, but it still there becomes a point where it's just it's too much. I can't handle it. Something in my brain starts to think, okay, all these people are judging me, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to. Well, I'm 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 just I only ask because well, you know once this podcast has more than thirty listeners, <laughs> I want to see it like turn to. Think about those other people. <laughs> I'm gonna take that sound bite. <laughs> Run with that one. That's gonna be further extortion. That's, that's, that's my forty-seven percent comment. Right yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody! Did you hear that? Joey doesn't care for you. <laughs> oh man! And everybody, you're right. Switch though. off the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Good point though. Okay, so Moriarty shows up. Wow! <laughs> you, just, you just jumped half the episode, didn't you? No. He started. He shows up right at the beginning to oh, right, to steal the crown jewels, break into the crown jewels, to well, open up a bank vault, and to open up prison cells. Yeah. Right, before we get to that, I was going to ask you: Why do you think it bothers Watson? What people think about Sherlock? Really? Yeah. Because here, let, let, let me let me let me let me couch it in context of of the people in this room. I can say. You know, I wouldn't want people saying mean things about John necessarily, but if it doesn't bother John, it doesn't bother me. If it wasn't bothering you, Pete, I wouldn't care. They could say as many mean things as they did about you as they cared to. No. As long as, no. Long as it doesn't bother you, I'm not going to engage either. No. What? It, because the converse, the inverse, the reverse of that is not true in my case. If people were saying bad things about you and i didn't care yes i would still have a problem with it really yeah but i don't think that surprises anyone that may know us really that you are a sherlock personality and i am a watson personality i have more feeling than you do you are a much more calloused individual that's true i just i I, to me the, the the key there is sherlock doesn't care so why would watson and i and it's hard for me to wrap my mind around why someone else... Well, Watson is in tune with other people's feelings. He's in so tune... he's worried about what other people think about him because of his association? No, no. He He's concerned about the perception of how his friend is seen. That bothers him. Okay. In, in a sense, maybe this... Because I think I'm with Pete on this one. If nothing else, um, it, what Watson sees is um, like non-truth occurring. I, I, it seems like didn't you mention that like that you relate really with that XKCD where you're like, oh, I'm staying up all night because someone's wrong on the internet. <laughs> um, and and so like if nothing else, maybe like take the emotion out of it. Um, you know, Watson's concerned because people who are... They have a false perception. They have a false perception, and so, like, they're incorrect, and so that would annoy him just just for fact's sake. I guess I can see that. Yeah. Okay, sorry. You Moriarty shows up? Yes. <laughs> Halfway through the episode, Moriarty shows up. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he is going to pull off these things. Yes. And I really didn't see it coming where he was going to literally allow himself to be arrested. But he manages to get to wherever the crown jewels are held and get 
the entire place evacuated to the extent that he's the only person in there. I don't buy that. I believe that he could come up with some way of being able to, you know, open the vault door, open the prison door, even, you know, set off the alarms in, was it the Tower of London? Right, yeah. I believe he could do all that. I just don't believe that he would get to the point where he would be the only person in there. I I guess I found that part implausible. And at the time, I thought, okay, he's just sent some virus through on all of this. And the the whole virus thing or key code actually is ends up being this ruse because he was just paying people off to yeah. trigger various things. So okay, there, okay. I wasn't, there was no I wasn't sure if you were going to go there immediately. Yeah. Well, cuz I mean halfway or by the end of the thing I'm like I had been writing about all of these things like I have, you know, I don't believe this at all that there could be this magical code that will break into everything. And matter of fact, I was... uh, (laughs) No, there isn't. There is. And you possess it? No. Nobody possesses it. Are we going back to sneakers now? The the Nice. Good movie. Yeah. That's in the movie Sneakers. That's basically... It's a thing that can crack any code. Right. So here's the thing. All, All cryptography in our modern world is based on one theory. The theory that... If I have a really, really large prime number, and when we say large, we're talking like thousand-digit long prime numbers, and you have a really large prime number, and I give you my prime number times something else, and I send you the result, you can take that and take your prime number and divide it out, and we can get to the same value because prime numbers are hard to calculate, and you'd have to sit there all day long and calculate every prime number in order to, to reverse this cryptography. So all cryptography is based on the theory that prime factorization is a really hard problem to solve for computers. But there's a, a thing called the Riemann hypothesis. Mm. It is one of what's known as the millennium problems. These are problems that were put out there by a, a foundation that has a $1 million prize to give away to anyone who can solve one of these seven problems, seven mathematical problems. And the Riemann hypothesis says that we think that there might actually be a way to factor very large prime numbers much faster than we do today. We just don't know how. Like looking at the math, looking around the edges of the math, mathematicians think, oh man, there's got to be some way. We can see the hole in our logic. There's this gaping hole in our logic. And all cryptography is based around the fact that that hole exists. If anyone ever plugged that hole, they got the, the, the algorithm that plugged that hole, all of human cryptography would fall apart in an instant. Okay, uh, I see a big hole in your theory. Which is? It doesn't exist. It, Where is this magical code? It hasn't been figured out yet. <laughs> but, but the, logic, the logic tells us that it's there. Yeah, but my, the so, whole point of my statement was it, does it doesn't exist. exist. But the, the principle is sound. Okay, but that's not what you said, though, sir. But the idea that a supervillain could somehow Come have, this. have this eventually is... It's, it's completely plausible. I'm okay. just saying you made an emphatic statement of, yes, it does exist. The Riemann hypothesis The, the hypothesis. <laughs> the thing we think should fix it all. It's yeah. Like, like, I can say that about everything. Oh, I, I, I have this hypothesis about curing cancer and AIDS in, in one chemical. I can fix it all. <laughs> 
Well, it's I mean, more come, like come on. The, this Riemann thing sounds more like dark matter than uh, <laughs> than uh, snake oil. Uh, it, it's kind of like I don't know if you guys are familiar with P P equals N P. The question of whether P equals N P, whether things are polynomial hard and non polynomial hard, is provable. And I'm getting a bunch of blanks. Okay. <laughs> it's just one of those things where we, I was told there'd be no math. Tonight. <laughs> Excellent line. <laughs> Excellent line. <laughs> Anyway, it's just one of those things where we know it's just a matter of time until someone comes up with this. But by that time, we would have found ways around it, though, right? Well, we would have to completely change. We'd we'd get a newer, complex method. There actually, there are... Add a few digits. Yeah. Add the number three. (laughs) Like, what? There are a concept called elliptical cryptography that they think will be more secure against this kind of attack, you know, because it won't be based on prime numbers. It's, it's based on some other principle that I actually, it's, it's so theoretical that I haven't bothered to study up on it yet. So but it would be based on imaginary on, numbers then. Perhaps. <laughs> I imagine being called elliptical cryptography has something to do with an ellipse, but that's pure speculation. On my part. <laughs> Either way, I think as we're safe in saying the three of us in this room aren't going to be the ones coming up with this. That's probably true. But maybe it's Moriarty. But there's a, there's a reason I interrupted you, though. Because um, you kind of skipped to the end a little bit. And I shouldn't be here because, Pete, as you know, I did watch this episode last night mm-hmm. in the other room while you were watching it. I mostly was watching you react to it, which was kind of fun. <laughs> um, well, if that's not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and so it's been a while <laughs> since I've, like, really watch this episode like just me just not doing anything else because i was eating i was doing other things um now it, it we find out that moriarty paid people off but isn't that just something that he says we saw we saw some uh we see him text people we saw the text message that the guy got yeah like the the one who is supposedly the security guard watching the the, the monitors Okay, so, and they they don't show anything from the the bank vault or the the prison, but I think we're meant to infer from that that you know he didn't come up with a code like he said. He was just he he bought people off. See, because uh, I think it's, I mean, wouldn't he have had to have buy? There's not like one person in each of those cases that he had to buy off. Like, so how many people are we talking here? I, I don't know. I pr- well, he managed to manipulate the entire jury. Yeah, and that, and that was twelve people. And that was from within his prison cell. But I mean, are are you trying to get to the point of you think that he might actually have a you know quote unquote magical code that gets him into anything? I'm not discounting it because it, this is all based on just stuff he says, and I guess showing him texting people and everything and we do know that he bought off the jury and everything you know that that supplies it a little bit but uh it it seems like if if you have enough money to buy off whoever is guarding the crown jewels that must be more money than the crown jewels sure so i guess maybe but i mean the the point is of not, him not saying necessarily you could get people who the, the security guard himself has no capability to really be able to pull off a heist like that. And so he's willing to sell out his services for some number less. I, I could see that being a plausible reason. 
and and it would have to be a lot more than the security oh, guard. And he, it's because of redundancy, so clear to the security guard. Look, no one's actually going to leave with the jewels. I will be here when the cops get here. Because yeah, the, the other thing is, <laughs> he was locked in there, right? I mean, there was no way for him to get out. They dropped huge blast doors down. Yep. So there really wasn't any way for him to have gotten out with the jewels anyway, in theory. Unless he has the Riemann thing. But I'm with you, John. Up until the point where they showed the guy getting the text message, I thought, oh, he, he's actually got the Riemann code. And he's, mm-hmm. just, he's just bluffing Sherlock right now. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to throw him off. Uh, but once they showed the text message, I was like, oh, well, I guess as an audience, we're supposed to infer from that point that he he really has just bought off all the people he needs to. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he's sitting when they come in, in all of, with all of the jewels on. <laughs> that would be an interesting experience, I think. To just sit there with the, the crown jewels on. Yeah, in, in the place of the king or queen. Uh, okay, during that whole exchange, what was the music that was playing? Because I actually really enjoyed it. Because I think there were a couple of different music pieces that were getting oh, played around that, that time. Oh, was kind of dancing around to Yeah, it. he was listening to something, then there was uh, some other additional uh, music. Anyway, I made the I note that remember. there was, go there was good music at that point. But all throughout the entire episode, there were... like. The the music that was used, other than the song "Staying Alive." <laughs> hey, I I even like that song. There's like wrong with you, man. I, I I enjoyed it. That you know that's a that comes from my time, Joey. You don't understand. <laughs> from your youth, yes, <laughs> extreme youth. Okay, I just thought that you know it would it was it, it caught my attention right away that Moriarty never even tried to escape here. He went to all this work to get arrested. And so when when Holmes and Watson are getting dressed and they're going to go down and, and testify in court, the note that I made, and now I know this is not true, but here, here was the thought that crossed my mind. Did Moriarty plan all those other crimes and set up the rewards that he got in order to equip Sherlock with certain accoutrements as well as build him up so that he would go in front of the court case and fall. That would be the fall. Was he would do something in the courtroom? I thought he was gonna come up with something that made it look like Sherlock was guilty right there in the courtroom. Hmm. Like if I don't know, I was thinking maybe like if there were spy microphones in the cufflinks that he got, and <laughs> a spy camera in the tie clip, and I don't know. It, that's, it, that's where with I'm Moriarty, at. it's anything <laughs> is really possible. Yeah. What ends up happening, though, is he doesn't say anything at all. Except, can you reach inside my pocket? (laughs) Which was a little weird, but all right, whatever. Just a piece of gum. Um, So, doesn't say anything. Sherlock goes in there and (laughs) basically plays the role of everyone in the court proceedings uh, as he begins to correct the... uh, uh, (laughs) No, don't ask that question. He's going to say this, and then the judge is going to do this. So ask me this question. <laughs> yeah. Which I found hilarious. Yeah. It, was, it was really, really good. Uh, but before that, he manages to fend off some reporter who acts as a, you know, an obsessed fan. And he's you know, goes through his whole Sherlock thing, and he's like, 
yeah, you're a reporter and you're a hack of a reporter because I've never even heard of you. <laughs> um, and then he pulls up her microphone and says something like really rude. Yeah, doesn't he say, you repulse me? Yeah, so- something like that. Um, at-, at any rate, pushes her off, wants nothing to do with her. She's offering an expose like, hey, I'll write your story. You tell me what it is. Yeah. I-, I like the line that she had. She says... Sooner or later, you're going to need someone on your side. Which I think, you know, I think that's a true statement. At some point, we all do. At some point in our lives, we all come to that moment where we do need someone on their side. On our side. Here's a question I have. I realize that you guys may not be able to answer this. We may have to go to our British listeners, but why the powdered wigs still? I'm so still? ready for this question. I knew you were going to ask this question. Why? I already they... have the article answering the question <laughs> up on my iPad. Okay, good. <laughs> and All I right. was chuckling about it before the podcast. You said, what are you laughing at? I said, nothing, nothing. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> All right, here you go. English judicial attire in its present form dates from about the 1660s, the time of the restoration of the English monarchy. Upon the return of Charles II from France, the fashion of the court of Louis XIV for powdered wigs became popular for the smart members of English society. Since England had just emerged from a bloody civil war between those who cut their hair short and those who wore their hair long, the pervasive use of wigs was an obvious way to cover over the divisions in society. The judicial robe and barrister's gown developed much earlier. By the time of Edward III, the fur and silk-lined robes were well-established as a mark of high judicial office. Judicial costume changed with the seasons, generally green in the summer and violet in the winter, with red reserved for special occasions. The plain black gown was adopted by most barristers in 1685 when the bar went into mourning at the death of King Charles II. They have apparently (laughs) never gotten over it. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> they're still mourning for Charles II. <laughs> that's nice to know there's a little bit of fashion play in, inside there. Much like uh, our, uh, the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice in our, was it Rehnquist who added the three lines yes, yeah. onto his sleeves? It was like, <laughs> everybody's like, where did that, wait, where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> the audacity of the man. Like, just added it added for no it, reason. Yeah. Good for him, though, I guess. He's dead now. Um, okay, so the verdict comes back, not guilty. I don't think any of us were really that surprised no. by it. Um, you know, that's the, the little hook. Here's the interesting thing. No one, or at least they don't mention it within the, the news, no one seems like flustered at all that this guy who is caught red-handed... Yeah. And offers no defense, is not guilty, like nobody questions it at all. Like they're just like, really? Like, how does that happen? (laughs) Which I think nowadays we'd go to the most logical conclusion. They bought off the the jury. Yeah. Or, you know, the maybe the bailiff in between, like palmed the (laughs) thing and slipped a different paper up there to him. And the jury was like, nah, we're kind of tired. We want to go home. <laughs> nah, we don't care. We don't need to correct it. It was actually pretty funny. He didn't, he didn't take any of the jewels. Um, but anyway, we come to find out later, he managed to send a, or have someone send a message 
to each one of the people who were on the jury, um, look, you better go this way or your family or loved ones will yeah. die. Um, which would – how would you react? Because you actually have family slash loved ones. W- would you I, I'm go the, with I'm it? I'm on the jury for Moriarty? Yeah. You know, I think I would have gone to the authorities at that point, like right then. Said, go get my family in protective custody. What if on the screen it says, if you tell the authorities, yeah, I, I have that. ears everywhere. I've paid off so many people, I'll know that you did this and I'll kill them anyway. I, I've, I've heard that before, that statement before. I just don't buy that there's anybody, I don't think I would believe that there's anybody who's that clued in that keyed into the world but it's moriarty he is he's bought everything <laughs> i i don't think i'd believe it and i don't think <laughs> I, I would i would go to the authorities i would say protect my family so that i can carry out justice here because if if a, a jury of your peers can be swayed by something like that then what point is the entire legal system and what good is trying to raise my kids in the right if that's the kind of society that we're going to create right right Okay, fair enough. Moving on. I wrote down a quote, a man with a key. I have no idea. That was something that Moriarty was. Was that something about Moriarty said? Key, having that digital key to okay. everything. Okay. Um, there were a couple quotes that we that we passed up that I want to point out. was that when uh, Watson and Sherlock are talking and Watson says, don't do that look. The We both know what's going on here look. And Sherlock says, well, we do. I don't, <laughs> which is why I find the look so infuriating. <laughs> and then it, uh, it does suck to be that guy who yeah. is, you know, second to the party, so to speak. And, and then, the, so the, this was another one where, as I'm, you know, I'm always trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? So I thought, okay, Moriarty wants to be in jail right now because there's something else going to happen. And he wants to be in jail to say, no, I didn't do it. I was in jail the whole time. I, I thought that's where the episode was going to go. I, I, I kind of thought that as well. Uh, anyway, we have assassins moving in on uh, Baker Street. And uh, Mycroft is you know telling Watson about this because he's saying, Hey, look, I, you need to watch out for him. We need to protect him. He's in danger at this point. Um, if Mycroft is so concerned, why doesn't he just have the assassins killed? <laughs> Like clearly, the government knows about it and enough. Enough the government for all y- intents and purposes. Yes, and enough to the extent that they know that they're actually assassins. They can say, "Oh yeah, we know that this person is this type of an assassin. They've done these works." They have every yeah. recourse then at that point to just go and kill them. Yeah, I don't know. That seemed weird. Uh, he goes into this club where he meets. Mycroft, the Diogenes Club, where the the tradition is total silence. No one speaks in the club. And Mycroft says, because we don't want a repeat of what happened in 1972. What happened in 1972? I don't know. Like, do you have any... You didn't look this up? This is something you usually do. I know. I went looking and I could not find... Like, I couldn't come up with the right Google term. (laughs) <laughs> to reveal what happened. I, I don't. I don't think that there is any real thing. I oh, think it's okay. just a matter of 
within the club itself. You know, this you know potentially fictitious club. Um, I didn't know if maybe they were referring to like some actual like diplomatic disaster in England in nineteen. What a terrible club, though. Hey guys, let's get together, but not speak to each other at all. I actually thought this was kind of a neat idea, personally. <laughs> no way. Because if you look at it later on down the line, you have Mycroft in there, and he's sitting in this room full of people who really should notice him and try and comfort him when he is clearly saddened. But he he's not. He's completely... Alone well, in a room full of people—that is a terrible thing to have happen. Like, like, yes, it was it was stupid of Mycroft to go to that place. Well, that's when where he was in that, when he was in that mood. I'm saying the idea of a club of people that just get together and, and sit around and don't talk—I I think that's I think that's a grand idea. <laughs> no, I don't I'm... have that kind of time. But if I did, what a waste! <laughs> like all of those minds together. And no, no communication, nothing. Okay, uh, so we have the kidnapped kids, um, who they're playing out the Hansel and Gretel, yeah, um, uh, fairy tale. We get we get a great line from Sherlock: "Anyone can walk in anywhere if they pick the right moment." Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, great line. And of course, that goes along with it as well. Just act like you belong. Yeah. You're you're gonna have an easy time getting wherever you want to go. Um, so the kidnapped kids end up eating a bunch of candy that was wrapped in mercury mercury items or uh, wrapping. It was not evident to me how he was actually gonna kill them. Like I get that you know in some regard. It was going to maybe trigger something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Did you? Um, no, but I I was having trouble with why the kids were wolfing the candy down. Like, That's what kids do. That's the only food source. Maybe they've been captured, you know, for an entire day, and it's like, oh, here's food. I personally, w- I wouldn't go that crazy with to get chocolate all, all over, over my your, mouth. Your face oh, and your hands. Ah, <laughs> that would be terrible. I don't know. I, okay. I got more hung up on that than on how he was going to kill them. I was like, I don't understand why these kids are eating this chocolate this way. I mean, my kids would probably eat all the candy, but I don't think they would, you know, be shoving handfuls of it into their mouth at once. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So we have uh they they find the kids, they you know, they're rescued and Sherlock is looking into he's like trying to solve the you know, the mystery of this. Well, he knows he's being set up. He knows it. I don't think he knows at that point though. I I think he as soon as the the black detective lady made the comment she made and he's walking out and he's like, "Wait, I got to think." He knows he's being set up. Oh, okay. He doesn't know sure. how yet. Okay. Okay. He doesn't know what the angle is, but so that's why he's thinking about. It. He tells John, "This is my cab. You get the next one because you might talk, and I need to think." Because he knows he's being set up, and he's just trying to figure out the particular details. Yeah, I I, I can appreciate that for sure. Um, which yeah, I mean, it's frustrating for us to sit back and watch the people who Sherlock seems to make fun of. Um, get the upper hand. Yeah. 
tear him down just because of the fact that they don't like him. Yeah. And they want to believe terrible things about him. Yeah. Um, anyway, but Molly seems to understand Sherlock, at least from this episode. I mean, it's poor Molly that she gets treated the way that she does, yes. but she does seem to, you know, see and notice some things that maybe Sherlock didn't realize he was putting off. You know, or that, you know, the emotions he was allowing to, to come out. He, yeah, in fact, Molly had said earlier in the episode, she talked about her father and, and how he would be sad when he didn't think anyone was looking. She says, I can tell you're being sad when you don't think Watson can see you. Which makes me think, Sherlock already knows that this game between him and Moriarty is going to end in death. Nah, he, I don't he, buy like that. He suspects it. He, he knows that this is not going to end well for at least one of the two. Um, I like though when he, you know, he, he, uh, Lestrade comes over, and Sherlock gives him this great line. He says, "You can't kill an idea once it's been planted in your head." Like now, Lestrade has to struggle, and, and even though he he knows Sherlock, he trusts him, he has to struggle with this idea that has been put into his head now. Oh, maybe Sherlock was up to this the whole time, and then Watson's response is, "Well." I, I, I know that you're not, you know, I, I know that you're not to blame for all this stuff. And his reasoning is, uh, let's see if I can find the line here. I wrote it down because I laughed so hard at it. Nobody could fake being such an annoying all the time. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, now we have to put the explicit rating <laughs> on this that. podcast. We can bleep that. <laughs> yeah, we haven't bleeped something in a long time. I think the only time we bleeped something is when we made up me swearing. Yes. Uh, okay. So Moriarty is setting up homes. We have the assassins. Um, one of them ends up being killed, which was weird. Like when the shots ring out, you expect the uh, Sherlock to be the one getting shot. Nope. It's the one of the assassins. Um then uh, Holmes ends up finding the camera that's in the apartment. Um, and then we have Lestrade coming back and actually arresting um, Holmes. He manages to get the gun and <laughs> pretends to take Watson hostage, which is pretty funny. Yeah, it was funny. In my opinion. Um and uh, they go running off down the street, which they managed to get away. I just, yeah, I found that a little hard to believe. Yeah, with all those police officers there, they weren't able to set off a cordon off an area. That was a little difficult. Yeah, but all right, whatever, fine. They 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 get away. Um, and apparently Moriarty has put the key code in Sherlock's apartment. That's what they come to find out. Or at least he's told people he has. My next line is Richard Brooke is Jim Moriarty. Oh yeah, brilliant. I love the uh, the shock, the just pure shun, stunned shock on Sherlock's face as he's like watching Moriarty play this helpless actor. Yes, who's terrified that Sherlock is going to hurt him, and like Sherlock can't react for like that whole scene. Sherlock is just kind of standing there, like. What is going on yeah, here? There, he did not see this one coming yeah. at all. Uh, and 
as a device, I mean, like that, that's right up there in my opinion with like some of the lost stuff. It's like, whoa, like out of left field, who would have ever expected, you know, something like that to happen? For me, it was just that intense. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I, I loved the scene and, and, uh, Moriarty clearly knows how to play an actor. He, yeah. he knows how to, to do it. I, th- I thought the scene worked really well. Is like, and um, I think it took a lot. There was a lot of adrenaline in the scene because when I watched it, I was kind of like, "Oh my gosh, is this? Are they? Is this a twist? What's going on?" I was kind of like, I was caught up in it. But if I had like another minute to kind of consider, like, well, there's no way he could be an actor because this goes back a little bit to like buying people off before. I don't know how much you could buy an actor for like risking his life and having someone point a gun <laughs> at him in the, in the previous season. Like that's gotta be a pretty starving actor to be able to pull that role off. Or having the bomb strapped to John Watson. Yeah. Right next to him. Yeah. yeah. Unless it was a fake bomb. Yeah. So Pete, uh, Sherlock then runs to Molly for help. Right. My question is, who are you going to turn to when your whole life comes crashing down around you? Aaron. Good choice. An excellent choice. Yeah. He, uh, I, I believe that I can cut him open, uh, much like in uh, the, the, the Empire Strikes Back and crawl inside him and get through it. I'll survive that way. You'll, you'll weather the storm. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's it's obvious. I would probably go to you, you know, the, depending on what the scenario might be. Well, I was assuming that I was the one who destroyed your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can come to me still if you want. Mutu- <laughs> mutually assured easier. destruction. That's true. That's Mr. Smith. Point. <laughs> you take me down, you're going along with me. Um yeah, I, I think it would end up being you. It would probably be those people that I felt could help me the mm-hmm. most. And I think Sherlock has put together some things in his mind that I don't think the rest of us have, because he's Sherlock, and he sees that Molly is going to be useful for him okay. to the extent that he's he's preparing some some alternatives, some ways of of getting around this. And it's at that point that I realize, okay, whatever happens, Molly is going to be helping him. That's going to be like, you know, when we used to watch Star Trek The Next Generation, it's going to be the transporter right. saves him, you know, kind of a thing. Although, that would be awesome if it ends up being <laughs> somehow a connection to Star Trek The Next Generation and a transporter transports him away before Especially he hits the ground. He's going to be con in the. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is a connection. Hmm. It could work. It might have some kind of relation to the uh, Moriarty holodeck program, like some kind of cross universe <laughs> thing going on. Right. It's like it would, they, they, they could have beamed his Katra out as he. F- well, I'm not going to get into like what happens at the end. Um, <laughs> but as far as uh, who I would trust, like if it was down yeah. to me. Um, uh, I, I don't know yet, but it would have to be a coroner, I'm pretty sure. So either I'd have to trust a random coroner or, uh, I'd have to, I, I should probably start making friends with one because apparently that's what this episode <laughs> taught me that I need to do if my life is, 
Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we think about, you know, oh, I need to get a friend who's a mechanic. I need to get a friend who <laughs> is a plumber. I yeah. need to get a friend who knows computers. Like, we think about all of those things. Who knows how to record a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the tech guy. You know, it, it is... No one ever thinks about, oh, I need to get a medical examiner on my side. Uh, right. It, it's it's just not an area we get, think I about. I need to get on my side someone who knows how to... Do- take care of a body <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big thing yeah <laughs> hey going back to the star trek thing i was reading a, an article which fish i had posted yeah it was a fish yeah. head yeah. where he talks about how spock actually is a very very you know distant grandson of sherlock holmes right and like within the that whole Star Trek universe, Sherlock the uh, Sherlock Holmes is real, uh, according yeah. to Myers, right? Right. I, but, I, but I have I have some. Keep going. I have some. Big I was just going to say everything that happens in Star Trek: The Next Generation kind of blows that theory right out of the water. They don't continue running with that theory because they talk about it, how Data is enthralled with this because of the the author of Doyle. And so Star Trek The Next Generation goes in the in a different direction. They don't keep with that that theme. I had a big, long conversation with uh, um, a friend of mine uh, about this. This was online, um, and it was in reference to this article. And so I have three possibilities on this one. Oh, cool. First, uh, in the Star Trek universe, somehow... The records kind of got mixed up because of, you know, the atomic wars that happened in the early 21st century. Oh, okay. And as a result, kind of like how they didn't know Khan was a supervillain who ran the world in 1997, (laughs) they did not know that these uh, Sherlock Holmes stories were nonfiction rather than fiction. Um, So that's option one. Option two is that in the Star Trek universe, everything that happens after the original series didn't actually happen, and they're all apocryphal. (laughs) Uh, And option three, which I'm pretty sure is true based on, you know, how many spelling errors were in that column, um, (laughs) that uh, the person who um, got the comment from Nicholas Meyer misinterpreted something he said uh, because... It's pretty much been the assumption that Spock's ancestor is Arthur Conan Doyle and not Sherlock Holmes. Oh, and, fascinating! And when he when he mentions, you know, an ancestor of mine said uh, the famous, you know, however, I, I can't I can't recall how it's said, but um, we, we whatever. said it uh, last you, week. You said it last week. Yeah, it's the one you said last week. But yeah, um, that that he's. He's speaking of uh, because Spock is half human, so um, that he's speaking of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I can think of at least two more possibilities. For oh, you. good! I'm I can't wait. So, so one of them is that there is a time changing event somewhere between the original <laughs> series and the next generation. And it's just an alternate timeline, more in line with ours, where Holmes is completely fictional. Hmm. And then the other possibility is that what Myers meant to say was that Spock is a a great descendant of the guy who inspired Doyle to write the character of Sherlock Holmes. Because Sherlock uh, Holmes was okay. based on a real person. Okay. So it, what he could have been meant to say was, you know, he's based on that actual guy that 
Holmes is kind of an exaggeration of this guy's character traits. Okay, fair enough. Okay, all right, let's move on. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, Mycroft told Moriarty everything is where I'm at next. Yeah, that's what I have as well. Um, I don't buy it. I buy it. I have to believe it because that's what we're shown. (laughs) And Mycroft is, he seems actually pretty distraught about it after, like, when he's alone. When he is not with Watson. I, I, I just don't think that character would have ever done that. It seems really out of character. Mycroft is the consummate, I'm in control of the scenario. And to have told Moriarty all that stuff, he had to have known he was giving up. That, what that what when did they yeah. do when did they interview him was it after he was arrested do you think yes yeah we we saw the result of the end of the interview when they let moriarty out of the jail cell and he had sherlock written all over the jail cell in a previous episode i think it was the the scandal in Gravia episode where they they let they came into a cell and Moriarty was there. It's at the very end of the episode. You're looking at me like you don't remember this. I don't. Do you remember this? Uh-uh. Joey's making things up again. Anyway, they they'd had Moriarty under arrest and they couldn't really get what they wanted out of him, so they let him go. Uh, I'll look that up on the yeah. pad. Because the whole scandal in Belgravia was like he was only in one part of that episode. Like he makes the phone call to Mycroft at, at uh, you know once he finally gets the airplane. Your, your friend John Madsen reference. Is calling on his iPad. I'll just I'll just go to the to that episode and find the end. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, maybe um, in answer to why Mycroft gave the information, maybe maybe he was still mad about the events of Scandal in Belgravia, <laughs> where because <laughs> it was right on the heels of the the whole. Uh, Coventry scenario falling apart, so it's that's possible. That makes it a little more believable for me, John. A little bit, not. not it seems like, yet. yeah. I'm not all the way yet, but I can. Uh, okay, that kind of helps. I don't feel like the character was completely destroyed. Okay, my next point: uh, we come to the Moriarty Holmes duel. Yes. Um, great, great stuff, by the way. <laughs> I love that scene on the rooftop. Intense, yeah. Here before I we get there actually, how is able how is Holmes able to get into that uh, pathology lab? Molly. He he's a wanted criminal. Molly let him in there. Uh, how? She just had a big overcoat, threw it over his head. No, no, no. She, the, the, we don't see him get in there. And he's they clearly a very calls. I mean, it's 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 never been a part of the hospital where we see thousands of doctors and nurses streaming by. Anyway, it's always been kind of an isolated part of the hospital in the episodes. Ah, all right, all right. I'm just saying he's really well known. You don't go past the the nurse's desk. You know, you go <laughs> kind of through the side door. All right. <laughs> so they duel on the roof, and they are going back and forth. Between each other. Now, John and I had a conversation about this last night. Uh, Pretty good conversation. Um, We're not going to do that again. (laughs) We won't share what our views were from that. No, only kidding. Um, The the back and forth 
as Sherlock is trying to probe into Moriarty's mind and Moriarty's trying to probe the little games that they play back and forth as each one is trying to unravel and outdo the other. Brilliant. Yeah. It's great. The The conundrum that we're faced with is Moriarty's paid assassins to kill uh, Holmes's friends. And he mentions Lestrade, Mrs. Harrington. Hudson. Uh, and yes, her. And then Watson. And he's like, you either jump off the roof and kill yourself or all three of these people will die. And then Sherlock manages to figure out some way around this to the point of, okay, they only die, you know, or at some point he's like, if you're still alive, though... You know a code or some kind of command yeah, or something I, that calls I, off yeah. the assassins. And I can figure it out. I can make you tell me. Yes. And Moriarty's response is, no, you can't. You know, uh, even your brother and all of the, the Maj- Her Majesty's, you know, secret police or whatever couldn't drag something out of me that I didn't want to give. And Sherlock tells him, well, you got to remember, I'm not my brother. In fact, I'm you. And I will do whatever it takes to win here. Right. At right. At point... Moriarty says, you know what? Thank you. You're right. You are me. The only chance you have is if I'm still alive. Pulls out a gun, sticks it in his mouth, and pulls the trigger. Okay. So this is where John and I had a little bit of a a disagreement as to how things are really ending. So in my mind, Moriarty's dead. He just blew his brains out. Okay. And Sherlock had the best seat in the house to view it. Okay. (laughs) And so in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way Sherlock is going to be surprised by this. He's got to know that Moriarty is dead. Anyway, he ends up doing a header off of the roof. How he manages to survive. Yeah. I... I'm eagerly waiting to find out how he does this. Probably what must have happened is uh, he went to Molly. Molly built a robot, Sherlock Holmes, that acted out Sherlock's uh, thoughts and movements up to the point where he was confused about whether or not he should jump off, even though he knew he had a plan to survive the fall. A robot. Yeah. So, so were you, you you were saying that you and John had this conversation. Okay, I think Moriarty's still alive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I've talked to people about this. Um, every everyone I've talked to, besides you guys, they don't know how. They just know that's not the way he's gonna go. Huh. You know, it, it's it's like, um, and it's not like logically I can figure out. Oh yeah, he's alive for this reason and this reason and this reason for uh, like events that happen. Like comic book villain. Alive. I just yeah, I just don't think uh, Moriarty is is willing to uh, sacrifice his life for and th- in that moment, I think he's smarter than that. Mm. Um, and so you know, we t- we talked a few things. Um, see, because Pete said, well, no, because Sherlock saw. Like, he's right there, so he knows if someone's head is going to blow up right in front of him. Um, I said, well, it is shocking enough of an event that it could have set him off. 
I, I did find it strange that Moriarty's head wasn't like completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> Although th- this is a uh, you know on TV, so maybe there there's you, some you, rules, you, yeah. some rules they can't break. Maybe so, I don't know. But I think Moriarty he he had control of the gun and he had the control of the conversation, and that's the way he solved the the situation by by kind of changing the rules in his Maybe, game. Here's why I think Moriarty's dead. They actually went to the trouble. I don't know if anybody but me noticed this. They actually went to the trouble of showing not only blood flowing from the top of Moriarty's head, but a little bit of brain matter was in this <laughs> pool of blood that was flowing across the top of the roof. You could see the brain matter come out of the top of his head from the streaming blood and float down the roof. Okay, I, I didn't see any. I, of that. I, <laughs> I I didn't see any of that. I mean, I even I, even though I agree with you, I, on I, this, I, I did not see that. I, I think I think it's silly to think that. <laughs> Oh, we can do blood, but, uh, you know, some kind of prosthetic brain matter. No, that's impossible. We can't do that. Well, what, what I meant by that was, I think that is them trying to give the audience a clear signal. Yep, this guy is for sure dead. I, I, no, I, I would say, <laughs> I, I would, I wouldn't say that's a, a clear signal to the audience. I, I think it's a clear, it, it's going to look as realistic to us as possible because that's going to be the big mind blower next season. Cause yeah. we know Sherlock's alive. And, and this is, this is my other argument. We know Sherlock. Okay, I was, you know that thing I said about the Sherlock robot jumping off the roof? I was actually kidding about that. That's not what I believe happened. But we do see Sherlock jump off the roof and land on the ground. I think his coming back from the grave is a lot, is far more unbelievable than whatever, whatever Moriarty could have faked with the gun. I would, I would agree that it's equally as believable. I don't think I would say more unbelievable. Far more unbelievable. <laughs> The most unbelievable thing I find about that entire thing is the fact that they bury Sherlock literally a few feet from a tree. (laughs) There's no way in the world they are digging a tomb right next to a tree like that. To a tree, okay. Just because of the root structure. um, They didn't have a body, clearly, Pete. (laughs) So they can put it anywhere they want. Oh, they had something. They found some, just like in the uh, the scandal in Belgravia, they found a Sherlock double somewhere. <laughs> and it was a closed casket. I don't know. Of course, Moriarty could have been an actor this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy blew his head off, so. Or, Moriarty has a twin. Moriarty could have a twin. Yeah. Hmm. Double the evil. <laughs> I just automatically, I went to the double mint, uh, no, Wrigley's I double too. mint gum. <laughs> well, it'd be great if if, uh, if Moriarty's twin had a goatee. He's like, oh yes. no, it's the evil version of yeah. Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm much more evil than my brother. <laughs> um, all right, so here's the the weird thing. Sherlock lives. We all know this because we all saw him, right? It wasn't just me that wanted to see Sherlock there at the end. Could have been time travel. (laughs) Um, We have Sherlock giving a a tearful apology to Watson as, you know, he's basically ending things. I guess he could have, because maybe he's trying to protect Watson at some point... He is trying to 
make Watson feel better because he doesn't think he's ever going to see him again. I think so. Yeah, he's trying to equip Watson emotionally with the uh, a tool. To what him. what Watson would need. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I I could buy that. I mean, it, it's a horrible thing to do. I, I think if if Holmes knew Watson the way he should, he should know that believing in Watson is at, or believing in Holmes after he's gone is way more important than whatever mourning process Watson's going to have to do. Like, Watson would be more betrayed by what Sherlock is trying to do here than just the death by itself. But yeah. he's really trying to say, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you, you want the dog to go home. You, it has to quit following you because yeah, it's someone so you, else's dog, and so you throw a rock at it. Yeah, you have to be mean to it, sure. Um, the One of the things that emotionally struck me, which was played brilliant by Martin Freeman was coming up to the body. He said, I'm a doctor. Let me see him. He's my friend. Let me in there. And people are holding him back. And he's just completely, utterly distraught. Yeah. And I, hats off to Mr. Freeman for his portrayal. But it got me thinking about, oh, dear Lord, what if I find a dead body of one of my loved ones? In, you know, just normal circumstances. You always, I, I'm fully cognizant and aware, you know, family members and friends are going to die at some point. But I'm 35. I don't see this happening for a while. Sure, my parents, probably within, a, you know, 20 years or so, will be dead. What if I find their body? I have never played mentally through oh. that scene of finding that dead body. And then to compound things, if you witness the act that killed them and coming upon it. I, I don't even, I, I don't fathom the emotional state of someone like that. I, I have no concept of it. I really don't. I've played that through. I am not surprised. It, it, it's no different than sitting in my driveway and practicing taking keys out from the passenger side in case <laughs> I get carjacked. I mean, it's just one of those... I want to be prepared for that eventuality. Yeah. I think I handled it pretty well in my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take your word for it, uh, I guess. I didn't even cry, Pete. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, that's all I had. Joey, I don't know if you had any further comments. Uh, just a few just a few little things. Um, as... Sherlock is preparing tea. He's waiting for the recently found not guilty Moriarty to come over to his house. They do a, a, a great creative direction piece here with the the camera work and the sound design. As we hear the process of creating tea, almost as though we were like a, a fly or some kind of miniaturized being. We're seeing the flames. The flames look like they're the full screen high. We hear the boiling as this great rushing thunderous sound. Uh, just the, the creative work that went into that whole scene, the preparation, I think it helps heighten the mood because we know, oh yeah, Moriarty's coming to see Sherlock. What's going to happen here? This is going to be tense. And so everything, even like preparing the tea, becomes this huge dramatic event playing on that emotional state that the that the script has put us in. Yeah, we completely glossed over that entire scene, yeah, didn't yeah. we? We didn't even uh, mention th there it. There were a few good lines out of it. Um Every fairy tale needs a good old-fashioned bad guy. 
And then every person has their pressure point, which I thought was, was great. I haven't found yours yet, Pete, but I'll let you know when I do. <laughs> um, Sherlock says, I've never liked riddles, which I think is just a load of crap. <laughs> Basically lives to solve them. I don't know. I think riddles might be something different. Okay. Uh, and then, th- th- so my question to you, Pete, and, and you as well, John. What is the final problem? Moriarty keeps referring to the final problem. What what really is it? If you were to state it in words, how would you how would you put it? I don't know. I because I don't understand the context. He comes over to Sherlock and he's like, "Have you figured it out yet, Sherlock? The final problem? I told you what it was. Were you listening?" And then later on the rooftop as he's sitting there listening to the the song Staying Alive and he's like, so here we are, the final problem. Have you figured it out yet? I've told you what it was. Do you know the answer? And I don't know. Well, I have my speculation on what he's referring to as the final problem. And I was just wondering if you guys had speculation. I thought he was roundabout, you know, saying um, since they're the same person, they can't exist in the same world. Okay. That one of them has to go. Like I, it's Highlander kind of thing. It's not, Highlander. Or like uh, Harry Potter, neither can live while the other survives. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I like the Highlander one reference better, though. Thank you, thank you. I would like the Harry Potter reference stricken from my thoughts. <laughs> Let it be done. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, does Joey have that power? Did you just give him that power? Granted. <laughs> right. He's doing what I say, so... <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, my thought was the, uh, the, the final problem... I think in, in Moriarty's mind is what do I do with myself once Sherlock's gone? Because I'm going to kill Sherlock. And then I'll How just be bored. How do I entertain myself? Yeah. 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 Maybe. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's just as plausible as anything else. All right. All right. We have some emails. Sure. L- listener Bob says, "Fellas, as much as I would love to email something, I haven't got the time." Well, enough time to say that he's not dead, and it's all in his head. Hmm. This episode is a nine. Love Moriarty and long live Sherlock. Bob. It's all in whose head? Doesn't say. I'm going to assume. They're the same person. Wait. Watson is crazy, and neither Sherlock nor Moriarty <laughs> exists. That's what, that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> And they're still on the island. He's been sitting in a room, and Mrs. Hudson's never seen Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. But she does make tea for that assassin, though. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Listener M. He says, what? What are you doing over there? Blood with brain matter in it. Joey, show me the blood with brain. If the studio that produced... Isn't that just bubbles in the blood, though? It's... if I had better control on the Netflix app here, I'd show you. But All it's right. this piece of it's this chunk of meat that comes floating out from behind his head. I tell you, if the if 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 BBC One, a a, a federally funded <laughs> uh, television station, can come up with the special effect of a brain floating in blood, I think I think whatever means Moriarty has at his disposal, he he can and make he it can done. Do it and yeah. still fool someone who's standing two feet away. He's going to well, have to. You know what? We've never actually heard Sherlock say, oh, oh Moriarty yeah. is dead or alive. Here's, he okay. just jumps off. 
You're right. No, no actually, the, you know, the, 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 thank you. That's a good point, because I think that may be one reason why Sherlock hesitated, because he knew he was going to jump and survive. Ah, we were talking about that last ah, night. Yeah, like, sure. Um, it, sure, it's huh? like, we, we know that he spoke with Molly, we know he has a plan, we know he's going to jump off and survive, but for some reason, after Moriarty's gone, Sherlock has second thoughts about jumping. Maybe it's because he thinks that that uh, Moriarty will discover his plan, because he is still alive. Yeah, yeah. Of course, well, but then Sherlock couldn't just go and cap him off, because that would that would kill the other people, too. So he was kind of trapped. He kind of had to think yes. before he jumped. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good Thank stuff. You. Listener M. Hey, dudes. Great show last week, as always. It's great that Pete got a chance to check out some of the competition, referring to the various podcasts. Uh, I have the overall tone of your. Sh- I like the overall tone of your show. I would also recommend less editing. <laughs> it would be less work, and I think hearing mistakes and such is part of the fun. Although, if you saved all the clips that you cut out, uh, then you could just put them all together and release a special edition. <laughs> sometime. Did you put him up to this? No, I didn't. <laughs> Release a special edition sometime when you take a week off. Just an idea. Here's the problem. A lot of the things that we edit out is dead air. Yeah, that's true. So if we combined all of the dead air, it would just be you listening to nothing for an hour and a half, two hours? Maybe maybe it's like, um, or... (laughs) Chewing or taking a drink of that. It'd be like a, a, a John Cage work. It'd be more art than podcast. Oh, okay, okay. But we actually have saved all that stuff, and we've talked in the past about going through and releasing kind of a real kind of... We've saved that stuff? You've saved that stuff. At Pete's direction, I have saved all that stuff. <laughs> why? Why would you save dead air? And well, why would I tell you to save dead air? I, I've saved all the original recordings. I didn't, like, okay, save all the right. dead air as I okay. was cutting it. okay. <laughs> I have every recording in its original state before it was cut. Sure, as do I. I keep a copy of all of that stuff. In MP3 form, you keep the WAV files. Okay, um, we're still probably not going to do that. <laughs> that, that well, what I was going with that was the problem being that at some point, someone would have to sit down and listen to all of that. Crap. And, listen, and, and say, okay, this is worth keeping... This was already talked about. We can't keep it. We don't want to make people listen to it again. Yeah. You guys, so isn't there an obvious solution to just send all of that to Mark and have him listen to it all? <laughs> all right. Mark, uh, he, has, bring, he has implied that he wants to be our new intern, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark, bring over an external hard drive. Uh, make sure it's big. One terabyte at least. Because <laughs> we've got uh, three years worth of this stuff. Okay. He continues. Um, here's a clip to comment on the Benghazi attack on the U.S. Embassy. It's interesting the way the administration adjusted the narrative from a spontaneous uprising to admitting that it was a planned attack. Uh, I saw this on uh, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. He made fun of how they went from, yeah, we're not really sure, to, yeah, we're pretty sure it was this, to, you know, back again to something else they changed their minds a bit um anyhow on to the episode you were talking about the reichenbach fall because of moriarty i will never be able to listen to the thieving magpie overture 
and be able to keep a straight face. It's easy to see why he wasn't convicted of any serious crimes. All he did was break the display case and cause a nuisance. Everything else I have to say is spoilers. This is definitely an episode to watch and least, at least twice. Sherlock is such a great TV show. Rating television, 10. Listener M. Uh, thanks, Mark. That uh, Good words. I have one other email. Okay. And this comes from... <laughs> I'll read the subject first. This probably late, and it's not proofread. I am very sorry. <laughs> Brainy Smurf. Oh, so we are going to have... We'll, we'll have uh, out of order uh, Brainy's Nook of Darkness. He says, Hey dudes, happy Halloween. Once again, Brainy, it is not Halloween yet. <laughs> Although maybe he's going for a Christmas kind of a thing, like how we all say Merry Christmas, like all throughout Christmas, right? Brainy's one of my people, and that's what he's doing. Because Halloween, <laughs> the greatest holiday of them all, uh, it, it, uh, it, it, is, it is like Christmas in that way. In fact, it's the last bastion from uh, keeping Christmas from seeping into July. Ooh. So, uh, oh, sure. So we need Halloween for that reason. And, it, and Halloween is a seasonal thing. I, I say Halloween starts when the uh, local haunted houses open up, which is late September. Okay. All right. I'm okay with that. I'll stop making fun of uh, Brainy Smurf for it. Uh, I am loving your conversations as induced by the awesome Sherlock series. Yay for Stephen Moffat. Who is the self-admitted Ultimate Doctor Who fanboy? It is super difficult not to constantly compare this series to Series 6 of The Doctor. By the way, Pete, have you had the chance to form an opinion on the first half of Series 7? The Brain Nation is interested to hear what you think. Uh, yes, I have. What? What do you got now? This is the end of the Hound of the Baskerville. Hounds of Baskerville. Oh, I was looking through the other one. I'm like, no, it's not in Scandal of Belgravia. I just looked. I, I, I yeah, said, I said I wasn't sure which one it was, but okay. the the last minute and a half of Scandal of Earth. <laughs> Hounds of Baskerville is them releasing Moriarty from the prison that they've been holding him in. Hmm. Uh, okay, so they went and captured him after uh, the Belgravia stuff. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Um, okay, to answer your question, Brainy, um, yes, I have seen the first half, and I'm kind of okay with letting Rory and uh, um, Amy go. Yeah. Yeah. Am I supposed to know this stuff, or is this supposed to be something I discover? Did you just spoil me? Uh, no, because you're going to forget. Okay. Um, no, I, I've enjoyed it. What, a few of the episodes I felt could have been turned into two-parters, um, and that would have been cool in my book, but I get the sense that they're just trying to move things along. So they were okay, but I felt like most of them were like, yeah, okay, this is throw away. We're just trying to move things along. Anyway, still like it. Still love it. Okay, he continues. Additionally, your podcast sounds awesome. In podcasting, although it's unfair, the quality of content is only as good as the quality of sound. Oh, and the Brain Nation has been receiving uh, rec record emails conveying the shock that 
Joey echoed last week toward the sketchy science of fringe. It may be surprising to learn, Braination, that people in the real world cannot actually build a big machine to cross dimensions. At this point, I might as well break the news that it is not yet scientifically possible to inject hallucinogens into your bloodstream to form a unified consciousness with a group of people. Although, people cannot actually teleport. Like on Star Trek. Fringe does not represent actual science. It is about science fiction. One of the main characters is an old theoretical physicist who used empirical methods to solve supernatural mysteries. And he is as awesome of a character as he is an actor. Reminds me of Jakar. These examples are merely awesome plot devices in an incredibly well-written science fiction series. But for our Nook of Darkness this week, we continue our Halloween celebration of music with a tune used in this week's episode of Sherlock. The first montage of this episode where Moriarty is awaiting trial features a song by Nina Simone called Sinnerman. Most versions by Nina are 10 minutes long and totally rockin'. On a side note, some listeners who also like Cowboy Bebop might be interested to know that the show's composer, Yoko Kano, did a cool cover of the song for some other anime show. Sinnerman is a traditional spiritual song that young Nina picked up from her Baptist mother. For those unaware, Nina Simone is an incredibly awesome musician who developed a distinct blend of gospel and jazz with a political overtone that eventually put her on the front lines of the American Civil Rights Movement. It is interesting to note that she was on the militant side of the movement, closer to Malcolm X than Martin Luther King. And I wonder what factors could have gone into making that sort of choice. She was akin to the Black Panthers, whom believed in a succeeded, um, succeeded nation of militant uprisers. Since I cannot possibly understand the personal context that a black woman would face in the 50s and 60s in New York City, I appreciate at least her great music and I ponder at the extreme of her choice in violence over peace. The last episode. There is a nice piece of symmetry as the episode opens with a Watson therapy session. Uh, what do Babby 5 and Sherlock have in common? Diogenes. I think that the club that Mycroft either owns or is a member of was also called Diogenes in the original stories. This episode featured some great music. In addition to the classical music number is a sweet part of an opera by Rossini. There you called, go, Pete. Called The Thieving Magpie, where a maid is falsely accused of stealing. The real culprit, spoiler alert, was the bird, and so the maid does not get hanged. Can ideas be killed? I think so. But the tricky part is n not to acknowledge that the idea, post-mortem, um, not to acknowledge... The idea. The, the idea, post-mortem. 
for I did warn you that this he did different. he did. <laughs> for ideas can be reanimated once they die. All it takes is a stray thought, and before you know it, you are being chased by the zombie version of your idea. <laughs> but I loved that I he took that metaphor all the way, didn't he? <laughs> and why not? But I loved that I was questioning whether Moriarty was the real Moriarty or not. I am still trying to figure this episode out. But I must state again that this dude, Martin Freeman, is an outstanding actor. TV9. Hope this isn't too late, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, it was late, but... Uh, you got in under the wire. Yeah. Just in time. Just in time. Yeah, thanks for that, Brainy. I can't wait to hear that uh, Nina Simone stuff. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I wrote that down too. I, yeah, John, are you a Cowboy Bebop fan? I love Cowboy oh, Bebop. Oh yeah, everyone yeah. should be. Yeah. Okay. Pete, you don't like Cowboy Bebop, do you? No, no, no. no. I was saying, oh yeah, to John oh, okay. being Cowboy Bebop. He's okay. talked about that before. Yeah, I yeah. think you guys should do that. We might. We might have to do that. Hmm. Okay, Pete, rating. Uh I loved it, and. The beginning was a little bumpy for me personally uh, with the whole magic key code and whatnot. Um, but the ending is absolutely, unequivocally awesome. Brilliant. Uh, I wrote down incredible ending with an exclamation point. I wrote down brilliant emotion. Uh, for, uh, speaking of Martin Freeman. Um, the, just fantastic all around the ending so i'm gonna give this a nine again just because of the beginning for me it was a little clunky all right john it was really good nine i also gave it a nine did you give it any other ratings i did not give it a rating did you give it a science fiction or mystery rating i give it a seven science fiction nine mystery for western (laughs) and six comedy (laughs) Okay. okay I, I also I gave it a science fiction rating. I think that this is good science fiction because <laughs> Sherlock is alive at the end. Okay, <laughs> uh, and, so it could, it a, and it could be teleporters. I gave it a seven for science fiction because oh. we don't know how. Somehow, science fictiony, he's alive. And I also gave it a seven as a mystery because it had my brain racing the whole time trying to figure out. While I didn't ever actually get the whole thing figured out at any point until it was revealed within the episode. It engaged my mind, getting me trying. Okay, I'm trying to beat Moriarty. I'm trying to beat Holmes to the solution here. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Holmes Army Presents Trek West Five. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.